Welcome to the Elm City Church Podcast. As a community of people who are trying to practice the way of Jesus together, we hope that these messages inspire and equip you for the journey of faith in everyday life. I believe that some of the best and worst lines ever written in music are found in Christmas songs. Some of the best and some of the worst are found in Christmas songs. Uh, Let's take the little drummer boy for a moment. Uh, Let's put aside the fact that there was no little drummer boy at the manger scene. Uh, The Magi did not show up when that happened um, because they would have showed up to Jesus a little bit older. So even if we suspend belief on those two things, the premise of the little drummer boy is that basically a junior high boy shows up not long after Mary has just given birth, probably a dramatic and a traumatic birth in a, in, a, in a cave or a stable, and this is what he does after surveying the scene, seeing the young mom and the baby. He looks around and says, you know what this needs? A drum solo. <laughs> The only thing that's realistic about that is that that's most likely uh, probably the best way to put a junior high's thought process, a junior high boy's thought process into action. <laughs> Doing yeah, youth group for years, that sounds exactly how a junior high boy would, would act. Um, or how about this, away in a manger. The cattle are lowing, the poor baby wakes, but little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. Uh, Jesus fully entered into our humanity and became one of us. And I guarantee if a newborn baby gets woken up by a noisy cow, that baby is going to be crying. (laughs) Most likely that is going to be happening. Finally, how about this line? It's the most wonderful time of the year. Again, let's lay aside the fact that's basically only used in commercials to make you buy stuff. But it's the most wonderful time of the year. And for some, it is. And for a lot of us, parts of it are. But for many, the holidays are anything but the most wonderful time of the year. They're stressful. They're complicated. Uh, They're financially difficult for for a lot of us. There are many who are faced with loss in the holidays, a reminder of who's not there this year. And the older you get, the more of that you experience. You know, often strained relationships come to the forefront around the holidays, and I feel like everyone's dysfunctions are just ratcheted up to an 11. Most people can keep it at like a four or five. Come the holiday seasons, they're always like an 11. And at times, it can be anything but the happiest season of all. And so, yeah, there's some silly Christmas songs with some kind of lame Christmas lyrics, but Christmas also has some of the best and most authentic songs that we, spe- that we have that speak directly into the reality of this and offer us a word of hope. And so during this Advent season, the four Sundays leading up to Christmas and Christmas Eve, we're going to both sing these songs, sing these beautiful songs that we have and learn about them through our series called Christmas Carols singing the stories of Christmas. Because what we need to handle life in a fallen world is so much bigger and deeper than just sentimentality. Like, you need something stronger than that. And these songs 
give us hope because they point to the deep and real and powerful and strong message that we encounter at Advent. Uh, Listen to what Fleming Rutledge says in her incredible book called Advent, The Once and Future Coming of Jesus Christ, is what she says. The disappointment, brokenness, and suffering, suffering and pain that characterizes life in this present world is held in dynamic tension with the promise of the future glory that is yet to come. And in that Advent tension, the church lives its life. That is a word that speaks to reality. And of all of the seasons, Advent, I feel like, is the most realistic because it deals with life as it actually is and not as we wish it would be. Advent is the most realistic of seasons because it deals with life as it actually is, not as we wish it would be. So what is Advent? What are we celebrating as we enter into this, into this season? Advent is a time of both remembrance and anticipation. Advent is about remembrance and anticipation, and it's about so much more than just getting ready for Christmas. It's about so much more than the Advent calendars, you get a little piece of candy and it gets up to Christmas morning. It's so much more than countdown to presents, uh, even though that's somehow, sometimes how we, we treat it. Advent is a season of remembrance and anticipation. We remember Jesus coming, and we anticipate his return. You know, it wasn't until recently-ish in church history that Advent became just about the birth of Jesus. For the longest time, Advent was about the end of the world. Advent was about Jesus coming back and the kingdom of God coming, not just the, all, not, just the not yet part of it, but the, you know, the, the not yet coming into the now. Advent was about Jesus restoring all things. Advent is about the reign of God. It's about living in the time between, which is where we find ourselves in the already but not yet. And that Jesus has come and the kingdom has been, and he he brought the kingdom, but it's not in its fullness. Advent is about the defeat of Satan, about how darkness has been overcome by light. It's about the ransom for our souls that was paid and how the ultimate hope of mankind will be fulfilled when God turns the universe on its head and makes everything right. Advent is so much more than the countdown of presents. Advent is huge. And because of that, we need to sing songs that reflect the enormity and the radical message of this season. So that's why, that is why we're, we're doing this series, because there's some really good ones. And the, and the song we're going to look at this morning and its message is, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. For many, that's one of their favorites. I know that's probably one of my favorites. Do we have any uh, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel fans in the house? There's less than I expected, but you know we'll we'll go we'll, we'll go with it. Uh, here is why this is one of my favorite uh, Christmas songs. I think it's because of both the kind of the haunting melody and its rich theology of hope. It's not just super kind of chipper, cheery the whole time in a fake way. I feel like this song just just runs full force into the reality of what it's like to live in a fallen world while yet clinging desperately to the hope of Jesus. That is why I love this song so much. It's a song about yearning and longing for a promise. It's a song about holding on to hope in the midst of the uncertainty of life. And it's also, it's one of the oldest songs that that we sing. It was originally a Benedictine Gregorian chant from the eighth or ninth century. 
So next time you're at a party and you want to like really impress people, just pull that tidbit out. You're going to be the coolest person at that party. Um, and this song, though, it was used as a preparation for Christmas. And so the, um, the monks, they would chant a stanza a day of its seven stanzas leading up to Christmas as a preparation for it. So don't worry, we're not going to do an in-depth dive into all seven verses. Um, we're only going to do six. <laughs> I say. But what's so, what I love about this song is its rich Old Testament promises that it highlights that were prophesied about that foreshadow the Messiah Jesus. So each one takes an Old Testament theme or promise looking forward to Jesus, highlights it. But then we see how it's going to be ultimately fulfilled when Jesus comes back again. And so this is written from the perspective of people longing and looking forward to the first coming of Jesus. And in singing it, we almost put ourselves in their shoes while at the same time kind of orienting us where we are now. And as we look forward to Jesus coming back and restoring all things in the same sense of hope and longing that the original audience that's pictured here would have had, we are called to enter into. Um, This is my new favorite definition of hope that I came across this week. Hope is an orientation toward a promised future. Hope is an orientation towards a promised future, which means as followers of Jesus, for those who have given your life to him and are following him, you can have hope for a promised future, kind of regardless of what your, your current circumstances are looking like. In fact, some of the deepest expressions of hope that we see in the scriptures and in our lives are when things are not awesome, are when things are disappointing, are when things are not how they should, we, should be, and we look forward in hope to what is promised, knowing for sure that that will come to pass. So let's take a look at this great hymn together and how this series is going to go, some version of it. We're going to talk about the song. We're going to uh, show you a little bit of how it comes together, and then we're going to sing it. Or this week, you're actually going to listen to a, a special of it being played. Because my hope is every, every time you hear these songs from now on, it's going to have a new meaning. Every time you sing it, there's going to be a new depth to it, and you're going to be able to worship in a greater way. Um, because the danger in singing songs over and over again, you just like, you, you forget. You don't think. You go into autopilot. You don't know what these amazing promises they're actually singing. So here is verse one. And as I was prepping, it is really hard to just say lyrics when you're used to singing them. If you ever try to do that, you're like, ah. So I'll do my best to not dazzle you by singing them. But this is, this is verse one. It says this. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appears. Rejoice Rejoice, Emmanuel, shall come to thee, O Israel. And Isaiah 7, 14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means God with us. And even in this first verse, I love the kind of the juxtaposition between mourning and longing and hope. It doesn't ignore the reality of, of, of life. It says that those that mourn in lonely exile, you know, rejoice that Emmanuel is coming and we rejoice that Emmanuel has come. So every refrain is rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel shall come to thee. 
O Israel. We can rejoice even when we find ourselves mourning, feeling like an outsider because Emmanuel, the Son of God, has come. And we can look forward till the day the Son of God appears because one day he will come and make everything right. That is the hope of this verse. And it goes on in the next Old Testament promise that Jesus fulfilled is that Jesus was called the rod of Jesse. It says this, O come, thou rod of Jesse, free, thine own from Satan's tyranny. From depths of hell thy people save and give them victory or the grave. Rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. Uh, Jesus, uh, Isaiah 11, one says this. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. So here's what this image is talking about. So this is the image of new life coming from death. It's the image of a tree that's cut down. You have a stump. You know, usually things don't grow out of the stump. Something might come off the side, but things don't grow out of the stump. That tree is, is dead. And this is the image of a new shoot, a new growth coming out of a dead stump. And the promise that new life will come out of death and that is what will free people from Satan's tyranny and bring salvation and victory over the grave. You know, Jesse was the father of King David who was in the, who was in the lineage of, of Jesus. And so what this verse declares is that for followers of Jesus, our great hope, even what we sang earlier this morning about our living hope, is that Jesus' resurrection foreshadows our own resurrection. And that one day, we will be resurrected in new resurrected bodies and live together in the new heavens and the new earth. And life shall triumph over death and sin shall be no more. That's the amazing truth that this verse proclaims. And I'm gonna go out of order, um, but the next one is Jesus as the key of David. Jesus as the key of David. What does this mean? It says, oh, come, thou key of David, come. And open wide our heavenly home Make safe the way that leads on high and close the path to misery. Rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. So the key of David, this is from Isaiah twenty-two, twenty-two. Another prophecy looking forward at Jesus and it says this, and I'll place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. He shall open and none shall shut and he shall shut and none shall open. So if you think about a key, a key can both open a door and lock a door, right? Yeah, a key can open a door and lock a door. And so this is what this is, this is saying. For those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus, Jesus has unlocked the door to heaven and has closed the door to hell and locked it behind us. Jesus, is the key of David, has unlocked the door to heaven and has slammed shut and locked the door to hell behind us. And he has made safe the path to him. So are, are, are you starting to see, even again, as we sing this song over and over again, like this is powerful stuff we're singing. This is turn the world upside down type of talk. This is not rocking around the Christmas tree <laughs> type singing here. This is singing for ultimate hope. This is singing for, I mean, Again, sometimes we, I don't think we think about the stuff we're saying, especially in our songs. This is incredible what we are proclaiming. And this next one, I think it might be for me the most powerful, Jesus as the day spring. 
This is what this verse says. O come, thou day spring from on high, and cheer us by thy drawing nigh. Disperse the gloomy clouds, the gloomy clouds of night, and death's dark shadows put to flight. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. So Luke one seven, Luke one seventy eight says this: Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. So Jesus came to announce the coming of God's kingdom. So the day spring, you know, it's the image of morning. Think about the spring would be the source of day. So the day spring is the image of light coming. And out of darkness, um, there there is a light, the sun causing day to come to life. And Jesus, as the light of the world, has banished the hopelessness of darkness. I don't know about you, like for me, I think one of the hardest parts about this time of year is the darkness. My goodness. It's dark, like it's like 3.45, it's starting to get really, really dark, and seven o'clock, it still feels dark. It just, the, the nights are long, the mornings are dark and cold, and it's just such a dark season. And this hymn and the scriptures often use darkness and the shadow of death as poetic images of our tragic, fallen human condition. Often, darkness, shadow of death, it's used to, talk, to describe life um, in our fallen human condition, which is something we often try, strive to avoid, even, even talking about it. This makes us uncomfortable, and we don't want to talk about it, we sort of want to showcase an Instagram facade of our lives. You know, most people just put the best stuff up. You could have had like a nightmare of a Thanksgiving, fought with your friends and relatives and all that, but on your Instagram feed is you and your family with a selfie, like best Thanksgiving ever. Even though it might not, I mean, some of you might have had a great one, but we always want to put this facade and only project the best parts of it, or we want to kind of live in unrealistic positivity because facing the reality of life sometimes just is not fun we'd rather avoid it. Um, But life is often full of disappointments, letdown, and loss. And there are times when the gloomy clouds of night seem to overtake us. But instead of ignoring that reality, instead of pretending that doesn't exist, or maybe that's one of those topics we just don't talk about, instead of doing that, no, the message of Advent blows a trumpet of how Jesus has overcome that reality. It reminds us that we live in the middle of the already but not yet. That is our reality. Listen to how John Piper puts it. I love this. He says, the Christian life oscillates between these two poles. The overflowing joy of the already redeemed in Ephesians 1.7 and the tearful yearning of the not yet redeemed in Ephesians 4.30. Not that we ever leave the one or the other in this life. But, as 2 Corinthians 6.10 says, we are sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Advent allows us to live in that middle ground, in that tension, by not ignoring the realities of life, but not, but not becoming overcome by the darkness as we cling on to our real hope. And what, this, what, what this verse is telling us, that Jesus is the day spring, is that the light dawns for those of us who suffer in darkness, which is all of us. It's talking about the consummation of all things when one day God is going to restore 
everything to its original glory. And one day things will be all right because Jesus made a way for all to be right. That is true. One day things will be all right because Jesus made a way for all to be right. And the darkness of this season reminds us of the contrast between the what is and the what is promised. But Jesus as our day spring gives us hope because he is the one who can say, let there be light. Jesus is the source of light and the one who can say, let there be light and by the power of his word, drive out darkness. And finally, the verse we conclude on is Jesus as the desire of nations. And this is the looking forward, the hope of what will be. The final verse says this, O come, desire of nations, bind in one the hearts of all mankind. Bid thou our sad divisions cease. Can I even get an amen on that line? (laughs) Bid now our sad divisions cease and be thyself our king of peace. Rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. Haggai 2.7 says this, I will shake all the nations so that the treasure of all nations shall come in and I'll fill this house with the glory to the Lord of hosts. And Jesus as the desire of nations, this final verse is that one day he's going to draw all the ransomed, all the redeemed from every nation, tribe, and tongue and make us into a kingdom of peace. This is the forward-looking peace that we sit into now and look forward to with longing and anticipation. That feeling in your gut you have on a regular basis that all is not the way it should be. This is, this is not right. Why are things so broken? That feeling that you have is a real feeling. And it's, it's this real tension, but what else it does is it drives us to the hope that one day Jesus will restore all things that one day things will be as they should be. And the reason why you feel that tension is because God created you for that world to come. If this, if this was how it was always supposed to be, you wouldn't feel that tension. If this is, if this is, if this is how things, if you were created for this, that tension you feel would not exist. It's almost as if God has placed in every one of us this hint or this memory of Eden this desire to go back to the way things were. Again, if this was always, if the world was always just a mess like this, you wouldn't have that desire. But God has placed that in you as almost like this sign or this beacon or this thing for you to go, you know what, there's more. And what I'm hoping for in Jesus, what, it, what, what the reality of it is, is gonna be so much better than you can even imagine. Whatever you're, whatever you're thinking, it's gonna be like infinitely better. What a beautiful story that we celebrate at Christmas. Jesus has come. Jesus is coming. And through his spirit, he is with us as we live in the middle, in the tension of the already, but not yet. And so the invitation of Advent, in one sense, is pretty simple. It's accept this good news. To, you know, we give Chris, we give gifts at Christmas all the time, and the, and the famous analogy of like someone offers you a gift, it's not yours until you take it. If someone has got a gift for you and you never take it, it doesn't do you any good. And so the gift of Christmas, the gift we celebrate at Advent, is that Jesus has offered us eternal life through Jesus Christ His Son. That He d- did for you what you could not do for yourself. 
All of the promises of the Old Testament look forward to Jesus and he fulfilled every single one of them. He paid the penalty for sin that you could not pay. And he's inviting you and he says, come unto me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me because my yoke is easy and my burden is light because I've paid it all and the invitation of Christmas is accept this good news. And if you're in here this morning, you have not accepted this good news. If you find yourself, like we all struggle in the reality of life, but Jesus is saying, come, accept what I have done for you. It's a gift you cannot earn this good news. That is the message of Advent. Jesus has come, Jesus is coming, and for those of us who are his followers who live in the tension of the already not yet, we have his Holy Spirit so we can reflect the light of Jesus to the world around us. We hope this message has been impactful. For more information about how you can connect with Elm City Church, visit elmcitychurch.com or follow us on social media. We'd love to help you take some next steps.